0: We're going to start in verse 12 this morning. <clears throat> and Linda kind of asked a similar question, but I'm going to ask you a question: Have you thought about what makes a friendship? What do you think makes a friendship? Like, well, I just did a brief internet search, and you can find all sorts of quotes about what people think make a good make a friendship. Um, I'll just share a few, and they were actually pretty good. Walter Winchell, a real friend is one who walks in when the world walks out. Euripides, one loyal friend is worth 10,000 relatives. Seneca, one of the most beautiful qualities of true friendship is to understand and be understood. Ulysses S. Grant, the friend in my adversity I shall always cherish most. I can better trust those who help to relieve the gloom of my dark hours than those who are so ready to enjoy with me the sunshine of my prosperity. And I like this one, Bill Watterson, the creator of Calvin and Hobbes, two close friends. Things are never quite as scary when you've got a best friend. There's something underneath all those, I think. And what makes a friendship, foundationally what makes a friendship? It's love. Not kind of like, not necessarily romantic relationships, but friendship, there's love. Because we may say we like our friends, and I'm not talking about like the Facebook kind of like, that's so superficial. But true friends are bound together by love. So here's a question when you heard those quotes, and hopefully you found them them helpful or good, when you heard those quotes about friendship, was one of the first groups of people that you thought of when you thought of friendship? Did the first people to come to mind, were they the people of this church? Or when you think of making friends, do you think of any group but the church? And I would ask why or why not? I think sometimes the reality is that, many, that the church can sometimes paint a bad picture. And we don't think about people in the church as friends bound by love. We tend more to think about these kind of quotes when we describe friendship in the church. E.C. McKenzie said, some people make enemies instead of friends because it's less trouble. Or maybe this Eskimo proverb fits. You never really know your friends from your enemies until the ice breaks. And it tends to break a lot if the church is doing what she's supposed to do. how are we to view each other in the church? How are we to view, view brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we simply sit side by side in the pews on Sunday morning and periodically check our Jesus box? All the, all the meanwhile hating or ignoring each other? Or do we live si- or do we live side by side, and face to face, filled with Jesus' love, showing a greater love than the world can ever give to someone who is with us, with whom the only commonality we might share with them is Jesus. How do we view each other? Well, let's listen to Christ this morning and see what He has to say on this. Would you please stand? Hopefully you've gotten there to John chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 12, go all the way through verse 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. You have a seat. What are we to do, does this passage say, what are we to do if we call ourselves Christians, if we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who has purchased a people for himself? What does this passage say? It's super duper clear. It's the same love in friendship. Love the church like Jesus does. Love the church like Jesus does. So that raises the obvious question. If we're to love the church like Jesus does, of whom this is a local body, commanded and called to love each other, how does Jesus love his church? This passage tells us three things. First, it tells us that Jesus sacrifices himself for his friends. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Ah, that's amazing. Well, what makes Jesus' love greater love? Well, first, Jesus' love is humble. Because look what he says. That you love one another as I have loved you. Do we understand who is saying this? This isn't just, this isn't like a talk show host saying, I love you. This isn't like your next door neighbor saying, I love you. This is Almighty God saying, I have loved you. Do you know what it takes for Almighty God to love us? Humility. And not counting others, a counting others as more significant kind of love, as he said from Philippians. See, one of the greatest obstacles that many people have to believing Jesus is that they believe that Jesus' love is owed to them. As if Jesus were an equal. As if we have something to bring to the table. As if we deserve God acting in humility to love us. Well... You can easily answer that. If someone was demanding your love, thinking it was owed to them, and that they wouldn't re- reciprocate if you didn't do your part, is that really love? Actually, Scripture says that we, des- we don't deserve love. We deserve the opposite. We deserve His wrath. Why? Because we took his love and we threw it in his face. Because we decided that we were the better determiners of what was right and wrong in our lives, of what was good for us, of what was evil. Anyone lied to get their way? Even a little white one, which God doesn't show partiality or anything about that. Which is just as much of a lie. You know what that is? You've thrown God's love in his face. You ever been jealous of somebody? Of their success or how well their life seems to look? Have you ever hated somebody for that? You've thrown God's love right in his face. You ever lusted after a woman or a man, turning one of God's image bearers into an Object for pleasure, you've thrown God's love in His face. You ever failed to love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your heart, all your mind, all your strength as He's commanded? (laughs) Yep, you've thrown God's love in His face. We all have. We don't deserve His love. But what happens? God condescends with the gospel, his son, to say, I do love you. And I am going to sacrifice myself to show that I love you. I'm going to sacrifice my all that's deserve all that i'm worthy of all that is deserve, that i deserve god says i'm going to humble myself and love you and second because that leads to how does he show that humble love is Jesus' love is sacrificial Greater love, he says, has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. How did Jesus show his love for sinful people whom he made into his people? Kids said it. He died on the cross. He laid himself down. A humiliating demonstration of his love. That's how low he was going to, willing to go for you and me. Jesus told us back in John chapter 10 verses, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Philippians 2 verse 7 says, He emptied himself taking the form of a, of a servant and became obedient. Obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He has loved these disciples and he loves you and me in that he has taught us the truth of God, of who God really is. He loved these guys that he washed his feet, something that was a scandal in first century Judaism. He has loved them in that he has invested his life in seeking their spiritual vitality. He has lived day and night for three years with 12 other smelly guys. And he, because he has done this for his friends. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you and me who trust the Lord, we're to love people in a we're to love each other in a sacrificial way. And thirdly, Jesus' love is not only humble and sacrificial, it's believable. I'm gonna hone in on three words at the end of verse 13 for his friends. We live in a day where it seems a lot of relationships are about what I can get out of them. And I confess, I'm as guilty as anybody with that. And when I can't get anything else out, the relationship ends, or shrivels, or we move on. This is the sad, sad story of thousands, perhaps millions of professing Christians in America who come to church. I go to church for what I can get out of it. Well, if that's what we're doing when we're meeting our friends, well, of course, no surprise that the second the relationships here get messy, or someone hurts us, or we hurt someone. You never do that. That's just me, right? the second we don't like something something, or we get bored, we find some reason to start distancing ourselves from this little body of saints who are still being sanctified. We in the world can see, and everybody can see right through that, that's utilitarian, that's using people, that's not Trinitarian love. Trinitarian love is this, verse 13, for His friends. That means He's after their good. And He does this most profoundly by substituting Himself in our place on the cross for our sakes. It was literally for us because we could not pay for our sins. We could not appease God's wrath, but He could and He did for us. And that's what Romans 8 verse 28 means. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? For God to just take, 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 take? No. All things work together for good. For those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. This is love that is believable. Jesus sacrifices himself for his friends. So church, love the church like Jesus does. The second way Jesus loves the church in this passage is that Jesus makes himself known to his friends. Because Jesus says in verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. What are the marks of a friend of Jesus? It's not just someone whose Jesus has shown love to, that's true, which we talked about in the first, but there are a couple things that marks a friend of Jesus. The first mark in this passage, the first mark of a friend of Jesus, it's kind of a weird one, It's obedience. You are my friends, Jesus says, conditional. If you do what I command you. (laughs) That's really straightforward, right? But it seems really weird. Why? Because most friendships, we would not consider them friendships if they were united around one party commanding the other party. And the other party's participation in the friendship was to do everything that the other one said. We wouldn't normally call that a friendship. So how can Jesus legitimately say this? And how can we know this is for our good? And this is, a, this is a true loving friendship that Jesus is saying here. We'll look back just a few verses in John 15, verse 5. What does he say? He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. There's no mistake. We look at Jesus' life. He acted in such a friendly way toward people. He was even accused. I mean, what a lovely accusation. He eats with tax collectors and sinners. He's a friend of theirs. And Jesus is calling these guys his friends. But the reality is is this is the one relationship where being a friend of Jesus does not mean that we're suddenly equal to Jesus. Because who is Jesus? He is still uniquely the Son of God in the flesh. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords and there is no one, no one else who can sit in that spot. And from the beginning... God is our creator. Jesus is our creator, not a fellow creature. And it has always been this way. So when he humbles himself and enters into creation, he still gets to call the shots. Why? Because he's God. And that's a good thing because God is the essence of good. So if we are trusting him, obeying what he says because we believe him, we are considered friends of his by him. There's no greater authority. You want to talk about what someone saying something true about you? If Jesus says you are my friend, (laughs) you are his friend. That's incredible. So here's the question then: How do we know what to obey? We want to be a friend of Jesus. We want to obey his commands. How do we know what to obey? And how do we know the character of the one we're obeying? I've said some things and made some assumptions that you guys know what the character, who the character of God is. How do we know the character of the one who we're obeying? How do we learn to love? And that's the second mark of a friend of Jesus. The second mark of a friend of Jesus is awareness. Because he says in verse 15, he says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. This awareness is not simply, yeah, we have some information. No, this is what scripture calls revelation. And this is what theologians call special revelation, where God makes himself known to us in a saving way. Isn't that that credible? That the God of the universe, who owes us nothing, chose to speak to us, to tell us he loves us and has made a way for us to live with him. he reveals the way to be saved and he reveals what he's up to. Here's the point. Slaves are told what to do and they do it. No questions. Slaves don't get to see the big picture. But friends? Friends get to see what's on their friend's mind why he's doing what he's doing, what his desires, his dreams, his hopes, his plans are, and they get to walk with him. Friends share each other's hopes and dreams, and for us, as finite creatures, we even share our fears and discouragements. And Jesus even does that when he is troubled, and he was, because he was headed to the cross. God wants us to know what He's up to. And it's even more amazing than that, not just a little bit of it, but He wants us to know the whole thing, because He says, "All that my fa- the, all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you." Why does he do this? <laughs> Let this sink in. Because His church is filled with His friends. And he wants his friends to know him. If you know Jesus as the Son of God who rescued you from slavery to sin and is for your joy, you can see that back in verse 11, it's way easier to want to obey God and obey God than some God who is keeping back secrets from you. This is not some cult where there's secret knowledge. No, Jesus has made known everything that, he told the, Father, that the Father told him. He is teaching you and me what love is and how to love. So are we like this toward one another, church? Do we dare share our hopes, dreams, and desires with each other? I mean, most people, our, reaction, our interactions are Hi. Hi. How are you this morning? Fine. Fine? Yeah, fine. Let me go to our seats. Is that what God has for relationships in his church? Do we dare let each other know how God has been using scripture in our lives that week? It seems like we are the most socially awkward people when it comes to the Bible, which is for us. Here's a question. Do we dare to let each other know that we could use some encouragement and prayer to get into God's word to even find some scripture that could be encouraging to us? To fill our sails. And here's a question for the other side. Do we even care when people risk it? Or do we think, I've got things to do, buddy. I can't invest in a relationship with you. When they're in the same church, Jesus makes himself known to his friends. How do you think ministry happens? In ignorance? No. You can't help. You can't love people you don't know. Not not in any not in the most meaningful way that Jesus has in mind here. He has made himself known to us. And we are blessed. So love the church like Jesus does. Jesus sacrifices himself for his friends. He makes himself known to his friends. And thirdly, this is awesome. Jesus gives life and purpose for his friends. To his friends. Look at this. Just look at this. You did not choose me, he says in verse 16, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Francis Schaeffer, the great. One of the great Christian apologists in the 20th century wrote a little book titled, How Then Shall We Live? Given the reality of Jesus' sacrifice for his friends, given the reality that Jesus has made himself known to his friends, here's the question. How then shall we, the people of God, the church, friends of God, how should we live? We've touched on some of it already, but what does life look for the friend of Jesus? Well, first, it's a life of abundant grace. You did not choose me, Jesus told them, but I chose you. Why does Jesus say this after calling them his friends? He says it because, man, if God Almighty calls you a friend, if some big name calls you a friend, there must be something special about me. (laughs) This guy likes me. We have nothing, (laughs) nothing at all to boast about before God Almighty and especially if God Almighty chooses to call us friend. In first century Judaism, students went looking for the rabbi. The rabbi didn't go out and get the students. You come to me. That's religion. This is not Jesus. Jesus, Rabbi of rabbis, King of kings, Lord of lords, creator, redeemer, sustainer, savior, says, you weren't looking for me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I looked for you. This is true for the apostles, and it is true for all of Jesus' disciples, anyone who trusts Him. Scripture says, you and I were not looking for Jesus. Scripture says, any means of searching was His grace at work as well. The Scripture says that apart from God's initiation, we're so sin-saturated, we're so spiritually dead unresponsive or antagonistic to the things of God. But what does the scripture say in response to that? It says, the gospel of grace. God so loved the world, a world that wasn't looking for him. God so loved the world that he gave. And 1 John 4 and verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. And Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. We were shown grace. And we get to respond to grace. The friend of Jesus' life is a life of grace. It should blow us away. God showing us grace. But He doesn't stop there. Because secondly, it's not just a life of of abundant grace. It's a life of fruitful mission. You did not choose me, Jesus said, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. You know what's amazing? We, because Jesus calls us friend, are given a purpose for living. Every person of the church, every believer in Jesus Christ has been given a purpose. You don't need to try to create your own purpose for living. Jesus has appointed you to it, that you should go and bear fruit. And here's something amazing. Yes, you Whoever you are listening to this individually, you are uniquely made and gifted by the Holy Spirit dwelling in you to carry that mission out as you, as you. Not somebody else, as you. That's awesome. We should praise God for each of us made in God's image to carry out the mission. But guess what? We're in this race together. Lone Ranger Christianity is a myth he even had Tonto. Come, let's race this, work this mission together. And we could spend, we could spend a whole another sermon or more on this. But there are two elements to our mission that Jesus says, go and bear fruit. This is disciple making. Every believer, every friend of Jesus, our purpose in life is to be both a disciple and a disciple maker. We were not designed to sit on our hands and stay spiritually stagnant. Just take, 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 take. No. You were called to go. You are called to walk with the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, being sanctified wherever He leads, whomever He leads you to. So we're called to go and then we're called to bear fruit. Fruit that lasts, what is this? Well, this could be leading people to Christ, and it should include that. Okay? We should all be telling the gospel to those around us who don't know Jesus. But this is the disciple making life. Disciple does not equal, does not equal only brand new converts. As you grow in Jesus, you live out what you have heard in his word and walk by his Holy Spirit, guess what happens? You will bear fruit. And as you walk with him, guess what kind of fruit you're going to bear? Fruit that lasts. Because he doesn't do anything haphazard or roughshod. And the fruit that lasts, that abides is that which displays his beauty, his worthiness, his reality of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. And he'll bear that fruit to the not yet believer, and he'll bear bear that fruit again to even the most holiest saint you can think of. It's a life of fruitful mission. And on that mission, it is also a life of answered prayer. Why are we to go and bear fruit that... that we that abides says so that whatever you ask in my name he may give it to you <laughs> this is wonderful we who believe in Jesus Christ aren't kicked out of the door of salvation with the voice saying behind us I did my part now you do yours good luck nope that's not the Christian life our God is called Emmanuel God with us And by His Holy Spirit dwelling in us. This means the mission is to be lived not by our power, but by His. And how do we avail ourselves of that power? We ask the one who gives it, we talk to the one who gave us the mission, who gives us purpose for living. It's on His watch that it succeeds. And fourthly, for a friend of Jesus, no surprise, it's a life of love. Because he says, verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. In other words, Jesus is ta- saying, I am telling you to obey my, command- my commands. I have told you to believe me based on the greater love by me, my, based on that greater love of me laying myself down, and myself me making whatever i what i have taught sorry what the father has told me to you known i have told you to go i have told you to bear fruit i have told you implicitly to pray to the father in my name why does he do all this so that you will love a brother and sister in christ like a friend even when their sin makes them perhaps the most unlovable person so that you will love each other not merely yourself you want to know some, you want to you want to see someone who loves the lord their god with all their heart soul mind and strength you see someone who also loves his neighbor as himself you see someone who also loves the church dearly. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you ever saw a tree eating its own fruit? My neighbors have a peach tree. And I've looked at that tree during the day and I've looked at that tree during the night and never once... Did I see it reach its branches into some mouth? And never once did I hear the juicy bite of a peach from it. I've seen my neighbors pick some, though, and we've been blessed to eat some. It's delicious. The fruit isn't made for the tree that grows it, the fruit is for others to enjoy. The fruit of Jesus' love we bear for others is for them to be blessed, for them to be built up, for them to be spiritually nourished by the Holy Spirit working in us and through us, however feeble we might think that is. The fruit we bear is for each other's maturity and vitality to encourage one another, to walk alongside one another through trials of every sort and kind. It's for rejoicing with those who rejoice, for weeping with those who weep. It's for being, it's being for someone as Jesus is for them when they need healing. It's for helping each other stand on the ground of truth when all of life seems chaos and lies. It's for dismant- helping each other dismantle falsehood. It's for calling each other to run to Christ, not to distraction and sin. It's for staying and loving the at times messy body of Christ when she's being sanctified and washed in the word of truth. Jesus didn't stay away when his bride was headed to hell, he came and rescued. He loved. He gives life and purpose to his friends. So church, love the church like Jesus loves her. As I said at the beginning, there's a lot of great quotes out there about friendship. I want to close with this one. You might recognize it. God wrote this one. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. God calls you, Christian, a friend. And he calls you to be a friend to his friends. How do we view others in the church? how do we view our brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, how about as fellow friends of our Lord and Savior who loved and loves us, who sacrificed himself for his friends, who makes himself known to his friends, and who gives us life and purpose as his friends. Let's love the church like Jesus does.